Welcome to Fintech Chatting, presented by Tier 1 People, leaders in Fintech Executive Search. Follow us on your favorite podcast player or Fintech Chatter TV on YouTube. Welcome to part three of our three-part Fintech Chatter series recorded live from the British Consulate in Sydney. I'm your host, Dexter Cousins. Back in 2018, I began supporting the work of the UK Department of Business and Trade in their efforts to establish a UK Oz Fintech Bridge. Each year, a UK Fintech mission heads down under as part of Intersect Week. It's a fantastic opportunity, not only to not only to showcase what Australia has to offer, but to learn from our UK cousins. So over this three-part series, I'm bringing interviews with the delegates, sharing their insights, experiences, and their thoughts to the Australian fintech community. In this final episode, I chat to two UK companies who have already launched in Australia. Nick Briscoe, Australia Country Manager for Currency Cloud, and Robbie McDiarmid, Country Manager for CMSPI, share their challenges, the opportunities, and their tips on how to launch in Oz. Before we speak to Nick and Robbie, if you've just discovered the show, please consider following us on your podcast player and leaving a review. It really helps others like you discover the show. And if you're coming back, thanks so much for your support. Thanks, Alyssa. Uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Fintech Chatter Podcast. This is the podcast for all things fintech down under. Joined today by two really cool guests, Nick Briscoe from Currency Cloud and Robbie McDiarmid from, you're going to have to help me out here, Robbie. I <laughs> never get, when it's more than three letters, I can never get it right. Yeah. CMSPI. I didn't choose the name. <laughs> and I, so yeah, it's a tough one. Um, it's actually, I can't believe it's actually a year gone since I was in this room with both of you and we were having another podcast and having a a very similar discussion but I guess the reason why the discussion is similar is because there are inherent challenges and opportunities but through launching in Australia and we've seen the last 12 months some businesses have been successful some have not and so today is really I guess to give you a warts and all kind of account of what it's like the nuance to the types of businesses. I think you mentioned in the presentation that we see B2B businesses a little bit more successful here than, say, B2C. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that you won't be successful. There's just, I guess, you know, some different approaches that are required. But Nick, maybe if you could start off with Currency Cloud and a little bit about the business and what you do. Yeah, sure. So uh, Currency Cloud is a provider of financial infrastructure and specifically multi-currency accounts um, and cross-border payment solutions for banks, brokers and fintechs. So very much in the B2B sector. Um, we do not service individual consumers or SMEs or corporate customers. Um, business is just over a decade old and really a UK fintech uh, success story having been acquired by Visa um, back in December 2021. I've been with the organisation for a bit over 18 months, so just after the acquisition occurred, I started in January 2022, um, and first employee here in Australia and really established the business, got a licence in place, started to build out the team here in Australia, whilst also building out the client base that was already pre-existing in the business. Great. And Robbie, can you tell us a little bit about you and CM? 
CMPSA. SPA. SPA, yeah. <laughs> right, I need to write that down, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, so Robbie McDermott, I head up our consulting team at CMSPI. So um, we started as a cash management firm actually in the UK for the large supermarkets in, in the UK and therefore exchange bureaus. Um, so ordering the right cash at the right time and, and vice versa. Um, we realized or we uh, got questions about uh, this newfangled thing called credit cards and how we might be able to accept those as a UK supermarket. Um, and so we started kind of delving into the space and uh, payments has obviously exploded since then um, in, into digital. So um, we've grown now to six offices globally into the US, into Europe um, and into Asia Pacific now where we have Sydney as our hub for um, our APAC operations. But fundamentally what we do is we support merchants so again very much in the b2b space to optimize their payments arrangements who should they work with and how should they work with them to be able to deliver the best experience for their customers um in in their b2c channels so um yeah we uh we've been working on australia for probably about five years now maybe three years of direct focus on it um and just over a year now of uh of being on the ground and and setting up with yeah. local clients so um, a year ago, I think <clears throat> you on the podcast, you've been here for two weeks. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, congratulations on making it through your first year. <laughs> um, you're, you're in the top 10%. What's that experience been like, Robbie? Uh, yeah, I, I think because we'd done essentially two years of market scoping and we had the existing business in the UK, Europe and the US, um, we started off with our multinational clients expanded into Australia and essentially, you know, suggested we, we could support them in this market as well as what we're doing elsewhere in the world. Um, from that international piece that allowed us to get a decent chunk of, of projects and, and clients that we were working with at the time. Um, but then actually landing everything leading up to that point had been facilitating discussions with the domestic merchants that we really wanted to work with. Um, to be able to say, you know, we truly are uh, in the Australian market here. So upon actually landing, one of the things we found during obviously the pandemic, you have virtual discussions are still very valuable. Um, but we found that the Australian market in particular does like to meet and, uh, and discuss and, you know, make things happen yeah. in that way. Um, so after landing, we had quite a uh, kind of successful first few months immediately after because it had been two years worth of work that all landed in a hectic two or three week period where we were out and about meeting everybody and essentially finalizing before moving on. So uh, it's been busy. Um, and then I know we, we were going to talk about the kind of sales cycle here as well. It was very, very busy, August, September, uh, October. And then November, December, January, yeah. you go straight back to everyone on their summer holidays yeah. down here. So there's a saying in Australia that between the Melbourne Cup and Australia Day, we go into shutdown. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's not quite that, but there is definitely a slowdown. Yeah. There's different types of people and different organizations that you'd work with best during that time. Yeah. Um, but certainly for us, we found that the, uh, the sales piece slows down in the, in the summer months mm. here. Now, Nick, we've seen various staged organizations with various, I guess, you know, kind of uh, levels of capital to be able to throw at Australia 
and it's not not necessarily made a difference whether you've got huge amounts of capital or not. What's it been like for you having the the kind of visa acquisition? Has that been a help or has it been something that's, that's been perhaps a challenge? I think in the early stages it didn't really make that much difference because it was so uh, soon after the completion of that transaction. So it was very much business as usual for Currents Cloud in terms of the expansion. Um, as a more mature organisation now here in Australia, sort of 18 months in and maybe 12 months into being regulated, it's a massive tailwind very clearly because it gives us that, that brand awareness. We've gone through a period now where obviously interest rates have gone from zero to more normal interest rates um, and that's obviously negatively affected quite a few fintech organisations um, and maybe people more focused on their counterparty risk as well. Yeah. So that has very clearly been a tailwind for us as I think the ninth largest organisation or publicly traded anyway in the US. Um, so, yeah, as I said, I think in those early stages it hasn't had a big impact. Um, where it has certainly had an impact at later stages as well is probably, um, and this probably depends on the audience, whether you're regulated or not regulated, but certainly for a regulated institution who is looking to obtain banking services here in Australia, that's another key consideration about what type of organisation you are, what type of risk profile you present to a bank here in Australia. Um, and how that presents is super important and how that's, uh, that's executed mm. upon. And again, that is another area where very clearly we have the, the expertise and um, the financial resources to maintain an appropriate compliance framework and therefore give our banking partners comfort around that. No, Robbie, um, you talked before about lots of meetings. I think it's probably one of the reasons why the coffee is so good in Australia <laughs> is because we're always in coffee shops doing, doing meetings. What what have you found has been the challenge around kind of getting the name out there and, and just building those relationships? And I'm interested because you've spent a year here now and I just reflect on my own personal experience, you know, landing in Australia nearly 20 years ago. And I remember people saying to me, you know, we're going to wait 12 months to see if you're still here. Have you you found that experience as well? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's certainly been interesting. I think the the kind of the meetings piece for us was um, a lot of business here is still relationship driven. Um, and so building relationships over a long period of time or getting recommendations and referrals from existing clients was really important. And so starting from effectively zero and then trying to build is the toughest part of that. And then once you have things set up, um, it can kind of continue under yeah. its own steam. Um, we found that the again, kind of the international client piece was very helpful in establishing a credibility. It, it has taken time and getting the momentum was difficult. Uh, finding the right conferences to attend, I think Intersect is a great one, particularly for those that are looking to sell to tier one, tier two banks um, and RegTech, InsureTech and all the rest. Um, and so for us, kind of finding those conferences where we're able to then get the networking and discussions uh, has been super helpful. Um, and, you know, we um, we just recently uh, broke even as well. Um, and in our kind of model, we deliver all of our work up front and then paid over a, a long period of time. So, um, yeah, we're going to be here for a, a good a good while longer. Nick, have you found with that that you need to have operations here to give customers comfort, particularly with things like time zone differences? 
Um, that's probably been less of a problem for us. We have an operations team that continues to be built out of a Singapore hub as well, so it's probably less of a consideration. Um, it's more to Robbie's point about just having people on the ground, um, being able to go out there and press the flesh, have a coffee or have a beer um, is super important. Um, it's, it probably will not surprise any of you here in the audience or listening that um, Australians can be quite direct, um, and that sort of has two sides to it. Normally, they'll give you both barrels if you've done something wrong, but the second component is you really want to get to the heart of the matter, and particularly around commercial discussions, you can do that very quickly and easily over a coffee and a beer. Um, so it does make it a very good place to do business, and there's not a lot of sort of um, faffing around uh, in this sort of dance around things. You can get to the heart of the matter quite quickly, but again, that needs to be done in person. Very hard to do that over a video call, um, although we did persist through that during COVID, but um, times have changed and people definitely want to meet yeah. in person. We are, I, I call you a blue-eyed unicorn, I think, on a podcast that we did. Um, and it, it's really, I think, in, in reference to the challenges that you have in finding the right person to be a country manager, that first person on the ground, it's unique. It's kind of, you know, you're there to, you know, kind of be the pioneer for the business. And um, there's a lot of challenges, right? Not just particularly for somebody like yourself, Robbie, coming to a new country, but you also have the time zone challenges as well. Yep. How have you both found the experience of being that first person on the ground? And maybe it's Robbie, if I can start with you. Yeah, um, it was, uh, it's an interesting one. Um, and, you know, it's... Uh, it's always the case that uh, Australia is the the weird time zone uh, quote, um, rather than uh, I, the other I thought that was New Zealand. Well, New Zealand's <laughs> yeah. even worse. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so it's uh, it's challenging. It's possible though. You know, um, there's crossover with uh, our US East Coast team. West Coast team is even better um, for crossover in the morning. Um, Europe, you can catch it five or, or six or so. Um, but I think. Um, so there's there's two sides to that as well. You also have an entire part of your day where you're not contactable by the rest of the world at all, uh, and you can get on with your Australian work uh, in the meantime. So um, I think it, it is uh, an interesting point because we landed with um, a team of three that came out for kind of opponent uh, full-time staff that were all experienced in the existing business, um, and that worked to help us kind of manage the transition from at least, you know, keep some parts of the business the same. Yes, we're kind of learning and expanding into a new market, but keep the core elements of the, the project team processes and how you do things equivalent until you find those differentiators that are required for the Australian market. Um, and then kind of from there now being able to tack on, um, you know, local hiring to give that kind of additional um, experience to bring us to, you know, the full domestic mm. level. So, um, yeah, it was it was interesting landing um, as uh, as kind of the one first. Certainly a learning experience, um, but you need yeah your kind of rest of the world teams to very much mm. understand the uh, the time zones. It can be a long day in yeah. uh, in Australia if you've got a global global business. <coughs> and Nick, how have you found it? Because obviously now you're a much larger business, you know wouldn't necessarily say you're a startup. So I would assume there's a few more kind of layers and stakeholders to manage. How have you found the experience so far? Yeah, um, really good, to be honest with you. And I think for anybody coming into that sort of role, obviously that first hire is really super important for an expansion. Um, 
you know, they need to sit across a whole range of different areas and particularly if you're a regulated business, but as our colleagues from Austrade pointed out, if you ultimately are selling, even if you're not regulated yourself, but you're selling into regulated businesses, um, it is possibly front of mind before commercials with a lot of organisations in Australia. So if you're not sensitive to it, um, you're going to have problems. And I mention that because those first few hires and particularly the first hire needs to be sensitive to governance, the regulatory framework, the environment the clients are operating in, um, if you are regulated yourself, obviously you have the skills and qualifications to sit on that license as a responsible officer. Um, and at the same time, be focused on probably the most important thing, the lifeblood, lifeblood of the organisation, which is revenue and growing that business. Pretty hard sort of mix of skills to, to balance as a person, but then kind of harder to find in a person as well when you're recruiting here in Australia. Um, from a personal perspective, I kind of enjoyed it um, and have enjoyed that startup phase. Uh, I think it helps again to have come from a background if you've worked in a global organization already. Um, the thought of getting on a call at 8 or 9 p.m. at night, Sydney time isn't so much of a stress. You kind of appreciate the freedoms. As Robbie mentioned, that nobody's going to hassle you from 8 o'clock till 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, so having that sort of background, I think helps. And I think certainly the first few employees important that they recognize they're in a global business and happy to, um, to work in around that to ensure that it's a success. What's it been like the last 12 months and actually putting together a team, local team? Yeah. Um, I think we've, um, lent quite a, a bit on the, uh, on the DBT team for initial introductions. Um, and there is a, a good network of um, kind of recruitment support in Australia as well, which I think is is necessary because we um, we had an attempt to, to do it ourselves, um, found that you know, it was very difficult to match up the skills we wanted with the salary ranges we were seeing with, you know, what we needed uh, within the team. So um, having that local support was really important there um, but now ultimately you know looking to maintain um, and grow the the current team in Australia with purely local hires um, so converted very quickly again once the kind of initial batch of stalwarts at, at CMSPI kind of moved across it's now looking to kind of have that uh, fully domestic setup and was there much resistance you know or, or kind of questions from talent around brand how long you were going to be in the market you know kind of it's mm. been a risk-off environment for everybody the last 12 months has, has yeah. that been a challenge um i don't think it was for us i think generally we saw and maybe this is biased from people that actually responded to our uh, our adverts, but generally we saw a lot of excitement about being in fintech um, and uh, certainly a lower hesitancy to joining a small kind of scale up, even as, as part of a larger global business. Um, that was seen as more exciting than uh, than worrying that there'd be that opportunity for growth. And I think particularly, you know, looking at uh, some graduate hires um and we're actually, we're based in tech central as well so we have kind of the the universities around us um there was far more excitement um and even there was a a session not too long ago where we had you know a room full of university students that were already thinking about their startup ideas mm. i think that mindset is 
changing. And again, maybe that's biases to who who's answering our, our calls. But um, it seems like particularly we've seen the explosion in growth of Afterpay and Zip coming from payments background. Um, I think that's inspired quite a lot of people yeah. to, to look at the small growing very quickly businesses to develop their careers as much as you know be part of an exciting organization and i guess those organizations as well have not only increased the talent pool but as you say have kind of normalized to an extent you know startups and the risk to it yeah exactly nick we've seen um unfortunately some businesses pull out of the the region um and when i look at them um you know very successful businesses in their own right, had funding behind them, but perhaps had looked at Australia and were too early. Is there a case that, you know, to be successful, you have to get the timing exactly right? Or is there, you know, some kind of leeway there that you can maybe make a, a mistake around the timing of the entry? You can definitely make mistakes because I've made lots of them. But um, I think uh, this is another area where you need that first hire, and particularly country manager, general manager, whatever you want to call that role. Um, they need to be able to put together a coherent go-to-market strategy. And perhaps more importantly than it being coherent, they need to be able to execute on it um, and, and do that successfully for your business to succeed here in Australia. Um, the other thing I think, and, and maybe this is where you're sort of alluding to, is it's it's sometimes easy, I think, to come into Australia or look at the market from an external perspective and think, hey, you know, really highly financialized economy, there's 27, 28 million people here, really early adopters of technology, we can go in there with this new product and we'll be sure to kill it. It's actually ruthlessly competitive. Um, and I think a lot of people do underestimate that. Um, all of the reasons why we're such early adopters mean we move on to new technology quite quickly um, and none more so than in payments in the area that we operate in. Um, so it's a mistake to, to underestimate just how competitive it is um, and, and how tough it is potentially going to be. But having said that, if you get it right, there's obviously yeah. great rewards at the end of it given the nature of our economy. Robbie, I want to talk to you about the nature of businesses as well, because when you talk about fintech, you automatically assume it's either going to be a financial services business or a technology company. Mm -hmm. And there's this whole other market, which is support services, consulting, which you know, in my experience, I've actually seen those businesses possibly be the most successful here in Oz. What's been your experience as a kind of support services style business? Yeah. So um, we, we have a, an interesting model where we're, um, we're working kind of exclusively on a share of benefit that we deliver. So the profit kind of rev share model. Um, and that, when you're starting to try and sell as a consulting business, um, has been quite helpful for us actually in building that trust with um, organizations that otherwise would be accustomed to maybe, you know, standard retainer pieces for consulting. Um, so our model kind of intrinsically is to prove ourselves uh, first and then and then you pay us. Um, so I, I certainly think um, in payments, and again, our view is focused very much on the merchant side of things and how they're accepting payments from their customers. But fundamentally, there's, um, there's quite a high, uh, or quite a high barrier to changing setups in Australia, I would say more so than we've seen elsewhere in the world. There's a higher loyalty, I suppose, to your existing big four bank partner. And so wherever we've seen merchants that have longstanding relationships with the large banks in an area that maybe has 
been surpassed by fintech alternatives. Um, that is, there's, there's quite a significant gap. And again, I, I think the reason that we launched in Australia, particularly for a kind of Asia Pacific hub now, um, rather than anywhere else, was that that gap is largest here than we've seen in in other markets that we've launched in, which leaves a gap for either new players to come in and sell their services, you know, directly to the the businesses in in the fintech space and actually provide the the solutions. Um, absolutely, obviously, you know, difficult to again kind of oust existing legacy relationships, but also that gap is significant enough that it allows for consulting partners to be able to provide that mm. um, step change in uh, in knowledge and understanding to be able to then make a make a switch away or improve the kind of current services being offered. There is, and I'm sure that this will be the case in a number of other areas where, again, there's maybe been 20, 30, 40-year partnerships with a single provider. So, that, you know, a, a similar thing with, uh, with job hunting, those that, you know, maybe... Or the the common trope of if you move every two or three years, then you know you're going to be seeing your salary increase massively. Staying potentially, you know, it's difficult, or you must you have to be negotiating consistently mm-hmm. to be able to to get that. Um, so same thing here. Um, there's a lot of areas that I think are currently served relatively fine by legacy players. Um, but a lot of opportunity elsewhere and finding that gap can almost be a little bit scary for for businesses in Australia when it appears that there's such a kind of large leap to make and if your internal infrastructure isn't set up to do that it can be a bit of a you know Mm. a a leap of faith Um, so having a partner there that is a subject matter expert to be able to handhold through the opportunity um, I think there is a lot of opportunity for supporting Australian business here because once they understand the opportunity, they're actually usually quite quick to move. Yeah. Um, so it's it's been an interesting yeah. dynamic for us in that space. But certainly, I think consulting and support services, there's a lot of areas where there'll be that large differential in what's done today and what could be done. Yeah, cool. Nick, um, when I look at the businesses that have been successful, one thing that they've done extremely well has been to look at Australia in isolation and um, from a product perspective, be able to tailor their product they're offering to the local market. And if you know, if I look at businesses like Revolut now, who've been here, what, three and a bit years, starting to get a lot of traction, they're seeing Australia as kind of the launch pad for innovation. Um, what, what's your sense as to you know, the, the, the challenges around that product localization and is it an easy thing to do? Um, yeah, I, I think it's very accurate. I think a lot of tech firms come down here and use Australia as as a testing ground, for want of a better phrase. And again, I think it goes back to that point that Australians are pretty early adopters of technology and will try new things. Um, in a regulated environment, I think, again, sort of being having really strong partnerships with your banks or is a good example of something where if you don't have that, trying to launch a new product um, and come in aggressively into the Aussie market can be a challenge. Um, but if you have those strong relationships in place, then you come down and you can localize a product pretty effectively. Um, yeah, uh, that's probably probably all I have to add on that. Yeah. Um, as we come to a wrap-up, what would be, I think, if you were advising anybody to come out, what would be the number one thing that you'd get them to focus on? Uh, again, it sort of comes back to your people. It's real, like super important in terms of 
um, looking at what has been successful, say in a UK business, um, and then understanding that how you're going to execute on that strategy in Australia, but that needs to be done with a local person initially, and then that right person to cover off all of those things that I mentioned around launching the business here in Australia, but then most importantly, be a carrier of the culture as well um, of the organization um, in the country. It's really easy for that to sort of go off the rails and cause problems if that, that first mm-hmm. hire is not right. Um, and then probably the follow-up answer to that is obviously to be really focused on the customers yeah. because um, obviously without them, um, you won't have a business. And I think you've mentioned this on a couple of podcasts, but to the extent it is possible within some of the regulatory framework that's available here in Australia to ideally have one to a number yeah. of customers on the ground already that you've started to sort of sense check some of those hypotheses that originally drew you to launching in Australia and whether they're actually playing out. Mm. And Robbie, what would be your kind of number one tip for anybody considering coming outdoors? I think um, don't underestimate the uh, amount of research and prepping that's required before a move. I don't know everyone here obviously has uh, has done their uh, their investment in this trip um, exactly, but absolutely the we we spent two years learning and prepping and molding what the existing product looked like to get something that was ready for launch um and then launch it um so the the kind of level of detail in planning for how you are actually mm-hmm. launching is is massive and i'll very quickly say the other one being getting out and about and meeting people yeah. networking is always very important particularly for startups and scale-ups um but here attend the conferences make connections ask for referrals even when there's you know kind of tangential links between people most people in payments in particular know everyone else in payments um and so there will be somebody that knows and leverage those relationships is uh is a massive one that we've learned and i think on that point it's really important to remember that this is a really tight community as well and so yeah slip ups yeah, uh, it can, yeah, it goes really, the other way. Yeah, yeah, it can really, really uh, damage the, your opportunity. L- look after every one of your clients um, yeah. equally, because everybody knows everybody knows everyone, and you can get yeah the good and bad referrals. Yeah, brilliant. Where can people find out more about Robbie? Um, so you can uh, add me on LinkedIn or um, cmspi.com. Um, I was so. going to say that because I had to. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's us, but always happy for a coffee now that I've learned to like it. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick, where can people find out more about you and Currency Cloud? Yeah, likewise, LinkedIn is the best place at a personal level. And, of course, Currency Cloud um, and our website is a good place to learn more about the organization. Well, thanks for tuning in, folks. As always, you can follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you're coming back, thanks for supporting the show. And if you're new, hit that follow button in your podcast player. We release new episodes every week. Until the next time, keep well. Fintech Chatter is produced by Tier 1 People, leaders in fintech executive search. We'll find world-class leadership talent, to build world-class fintech ventures. And you can find us at tier1people.com.